Their favorite prey is elk, followed closely by mule deer. And cows are really low on the list. And human children, not really there. <laughs> this is Chris Visa, a wolf biologist speaking from the latter ranch, owned by media mogul Ted Turner. On the ranch's roughly 150,000 acres lies a pre-release facility that is home to seven Mexican gray wolves. From the latter ranch's facility, wolves moved to the Blue Range Recovery Area, which was created as a refuge for this endangered species. The recovery area exists for one simple reason, which Chris explains. When it comes to wolves, there are very few people who are sort of like, eh, wolves. They're either, I love wolves, and you know, or they absolutely hate them. Helping the wolves make the transition from captivity to the wild is part of Chris's job. At this facility, the midway point between cages and wild refuge, the wolves live on quarter-acre plots enclosed by 14-foot-tall chain-link fences. This is where feeding happens. Do we ever feed live prey? And the answer is no. I wish we could. And there are restrictions um, because there are animal rights groups that would close us down if we tried to do anything like that. Chris and other wolf biologists count on instincts to allow wolves to hunt successfully in the wild. In captivity, her wolves devour logs of ground horse meat. Some managers choose to feed their wolves a kibble, specially formulated for large carnivores, but Chris shies away from this approach. She collects unused scraps from hunters on the latter ranch, trying to give her wolves a taste for wild game. The next part of their diet, however, might surprise you. We don't ever feed livestock, and all the wolves that are released at this point in time undergo a regime of conditioned taste aversion, where they are fed some beef meatballs um, with a drug that actually makes them feel rather ill with the idea that they associate the smell of beef with not feeling very well and they won't touch cows. Their diet may be predetermined, but once the wolves are in a pre-release facility like the latter, their future is uncertain. Because any wolf that is part of this captive breeding facility could get chosen for release at any time. You could get the call of the wild any day. In other words, release can happen pretty suddenly. After release, the wolves face two main problems. The first is a ranching culture that promotes killing wolves to protect cattle. Second, the Blue Range recovery area is comprised of 6,800 square miles. This sounds plentiful. However, since wolves often establish territories over 100 square miles, the 83 wolves that currently live there are already feeling the squeeze. Not only is the area unfenced, over half of it is open to cattle grazing. This space should be a haven for the wolves, but many end up roaming away from it. Under current policies, though, when a wolf strays outside the lines, it cannot remain there. One of the things we're experiencing is that the Blue Range is full, so we're starting to see wolves spill out. But like I said, the rule is you have to capture them and put them back in. Chris doesn't take much of a stance on this phenomenon, but others have more discernible opinions. Todd Wilkinson, the author of Ted Turner's recent biography, comments on the issue of wolf recapture. One thing that Chris isn't going to say, and that our friend from the Forest Service isn't going to say because they don't want to get into it, is that many critics see this as sort of an experiment that's doomed to fail because you're essentially restoring animals into a small box. Todd sees the experiment as more than futile. To him, it seems counterproductive. This notion that you capture and you bring them back, you capture and you bring them back, you know, the wolves are trying to tell us something. They're going to tell you where they're going to find suitable habitats. 
He's troubled by the protocol, which demands a team jump in and recapture the wolves. It's, you know, it's a really perverse thing compared to the way reintroductions have been done elsewhere. Currently, Mexican gray wolf reintroduction has reached a limit. There have been no releases since 2008, partly because spillover intensifies conflict between people and wolves. One clear sign of trouble is the number of wolves that have been shot and killed. After 17 years of reintroduction, the wild population stands at 83. Over those same 17 years, 54 wolves have been illegally and fatally shot. Only two of those deaths have led to prosecution. Despite this tension, wolves can find unlikely allies. Tom Waddell, manager of Ted Turner's Armendaris Ranch, explains. There's a guy over in Arizona, I love it, this guy. He raises Hereford cattle, which are the most susceptible to predation of any breed. So he goes to the wolf meeting. You know, I raise predator-friendly beef, I have to get a little more money, and he's got a sticker on there, predator-friendly. What Tom is describing is an experiment with financial support for letting wolves be. So he markets it in Tucson, Arizona, Kroger's, and all the little high-dollar meat places. And people pay a lot more for predator-friendly to support somebody that isn't killing predators. This seems like progress from the shoot, shovel, and shut up policy that many Western ranchers embrace. After all, this Arizona rancher appears to be showing restraint in return for a leg up in the market. But guess what? All his neighbors are four or five generation predator killers. All the way around him, no predators come to his property. They're dead before they ever get there. Oh, he's got a racket going and it makes the neighbors all upset and everything, you know. But it's huge. Clearly, many ranchers don't want wolves around. Fear of damage to their herds is complicated by ineffective policies. Steve DeBrat, manager of the latter ranch, highlights the problems with reimbursement, the most common solution to cattle loss. To this point, the, the uh, reimbursement of ranchers has been for known animals killed. And this is probably one of the worst ways to handle the situation because it puts, puts the rancher into a position of having to wait for it to be proven up you paying entity to come up with the money, it's time-consuming. Probably the best way is to pay these ranchers enough money where it's worth their while to allow the wolves to be there mm -hmm. and even take some livestock. Pay them, make, make it their, worth their while to live with the wolves. And that certainly changes their view when mm -hmm. suddenly it's part of their income. Mm -hmm. A lot of them were barely scraping by. Ranchers may never support having wolves for the sake of having wolves. But maybe they don't have to. It is plain that the wolves need more space than the Blue Range can provide. Since the land ranchers run cattle on overlaps with wolf habitat, there must be a way to let the wolves and the ranchers coexist. Luckily, it seems possible to create incentives that change these predators from a liability to an asset. So if you get compensated for, for having a wolf on your land, now they're going to start to want to invite sure. them. Yeah. You want them there because it gives you money. Money isn't everything, but the best way to create more room and tolerance for wolves may be to buy it. For National Public Lands Radio, I'm Ellen Ivins-Duran.